All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Draft Analyst Podcast with me, Steve Cornianos, and today's Thursday, May 9th, 2019. And you're listening to episode number 39 of the Draft Analyst Podcast, which you can find over at SoundCloud and iTunes. Plus, check me out on Twitter and Instagram at the Draft Analyst, and go over to my draft blog located at thedraftanalyst.com. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. And also, don't forget that this podcast and every podcast is sponsored by our friends over at City Financial Services for all your financial planning needs, including contract negotiations for hockey prospects. Give Chris Palace a call at 631-928-4496. 631-928-4496. The consultation is, of course, free. And listen, you know, if you're a young kid or you're the parents of a young kid and uh, you, you think that the, the kid's got a future in uh, professional hockey, you need a little bit of help, or at least uh, he has someone else's opinion on uh, some pitfalls to avoid or some, uh, I guess, uh, you know, smart decisions to make financially, I think Chris is the right guy to do it. So give him a call, 631-928-4496. All right, so it's been about a month since the last podcast. Uh, We did a little bit of a preview of the U18 World Championships. They're now in the books. We're transitioning over to the Men's World Championships, which is going to be pretty significant. We'll talk about that uh, in today's episode. But a lot of stuff to talk about, okay? I want to go over the draft order. That's pretty much eh, about, what, about 85 90% done. Uh, finalized. Uh, we'll go over some of the, uh, uh, you know, some draft, I guess, admin stuff, news and notes uh, about the tickets, uh, you know, the logistical aspect of it uh, taking place in Vancouver that weekend in June. Also, we got the CHL playoffs where, what, about a couple of, maybe a week away from the Memorial Cup, two weeks from the Memorial Cup. Uh, you know, you got all the th- three major junior leagues uh, all in the finals right now. Uh, I think they're all close. Uh, I didn't see, uh, so I'm not going to, I don't know the, the result of last night's game four, Vancouver, uh, Prince Albert. So I'm going to watch it later today. Uh, so I didn't see it last night, but Prince Albert was leading that series two one. Uh, so yeah, and the Memorial cup is a big deal when it comes to the draft because it's a good chance. Well, most of the guys playing, a, if they're not drafted, they're overages. You know, they've already missed their first shot at getting picked. Some might still be draft eligible. Others might be, I guess, uh, in free agent status or undrafted free agent status. So it's always good for them to showcase what they can do. It's a very big event in Canada. I uh, wish people here in the States were more into it. Uh, but um, So we got that coming up. Uh, and on, on top of that, listen, we got the, the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. You know, I'm a big NHL guy. I always have been. So I just got uh, some things to say about that. And uh, like I said, the draft order is set. Uh, I know there were some conditional picks out there, you know, obviously with the Rangers. If Dallas won, uh, the Rangers would have got Dallas's first round pick, which would have been, I think, obviously between 28 and 31, depending on where they ended up. But the conference finals are set. You know, you got Boston and Carolina in the east, San Jose and St. Louis in the west. So what does that mean? That means that the draft order is set. So just real quick, in case you, you know, you're too lazy to go online and look at it. This is no shit verified. It is not going to change, barring trades, of course. So one Devils, two Rangers, three Hawks, four Colorado via Ottawa. They're from the Duchesne trade. Uh, Five Kings, six Red Wings, seven Buffalo, eight Edmonton, nine Anaheim, 10 Vancouver, 11 Philly, 12 Minnesota, 13 Florida, 14 Arizona, 15 Montreal, 16 Colorado. So they got two picks. 16 is their own. Uh... Vegas at 17, Dallas at 18, 
Ottawa at 19. That's Columbus's pick that they got in the the other Duchesne trade. When was the last time that happened with two conditional, uh, two first round picks that got traded, uh, both involved the same player being moved? Someone's got to dig into that one for me. Uh, 20, the Rangers pick from Winnipeg via Winnipeg in the Kevin Hayes deal. 21, Pittsburgh. LA at 22 from Toronto in the uh, Muzzin deal. 23, Islanders. 24, Nashville. 25, Washington. 26, Calgary. 27, Tampa Bay. And then 28, 29, 30, 31 is going to be obviously determined. You know, you got what do you got? You got Boston, Carolina, St. Louis, San Jose. From a record standpoint, Boston has the best record remaining, so they're I guess at thirty-one if you want to say that. Uh, and then Carolina has the least amount of points, so Carolina right now is twenty-eight. I think St. Louis is twenty-nine. San Jose is thirty, and then Boston would be thirty-one. But of course, we got to wait for the conference finals to end and the Cup uh, champion to be determined. Uh, so you know, it was weird for a while. You know, I guess. Uh, uh, you know, specifically from the Rangers standpoint, it was a big deal because not only did they have Winnipeg's pick uh, and all the division winners getting knocked out, but you had the likelihood, a significant likelihood, that the four teams in the conference finals were going to be uh, four teams that finished, uh, what's it called, uh, ahead or below, which are worse in the standings than uh, Winnipeg did. Uh, you know, so obviously one of those teams would uh, go into the conference finals would, but even still would bump basically four teams. It would shift another four teams up. So the Rangers were in a situation where they could have had the 17th pick and let's say if Dallas is lose, Dallas loses in the uh, conference finals, if they made it, uh, they would have got the uh, 28th pick. So, you know, two, 17 and 28 instead it's two. It's 20, and the Dallas pick is the second round because Dallas lost uh, to a— and we'll talk about Dallas's uh, horrendous Game 7 against uh, St. Louis. I, I can't believe that game even went to overtime, but uh, that was all Ben Bishop. Uh, but so that's pretty much where you're at. So I think, uh, listen, if you're a fan of uh, the draft or you, you, you were really invested in the playoffs and the playoffs are over, now you want to get into draft mode— Go over to draftalice.com. I got rankings. I got mock drafts. Also doing stuff for sporting news. Uh, give them a follow on Twitter, at SN underscore NHL. But all my stuff, I got a link on my site, and it, it, it takes you directly to all the content I do for sporting news. It's just draft-related. Nothing but draft-related stuff. Mock drafts, rankings. I uh, did a feature piece on Capo Caco. Did a feature piece on Jack Hughes. Uh, you know, So a lot of fun stuff uh, going on over there. But the thing about the blog is, and I know I've said this, and I want to apologize to the people uh, who've been with me for a while and they're used to seeing uh, my free draft profiles. And uh, listen, I, I had to put a kibosh on that shit because people were uh, copying my scouting reports. And listen, I, I put the scouting reports on there for free, specifically for people to read them and to if they want to use them to make their own scouting reports, that's fine. But don't freaking copy a word for word and try to point it off as your own. That's some sucker-ass shit right there. So I got upset about that and... Uh, you know, I, I guess what I could do is make the profiles without, uh, giving the sky reports, but I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll wait until closer to, to, to draft time. Now, the other thing is the reason why the site hasn't been all that busy, you know, I haven't done a U18 recap like I do every year, uh, you know, and also the mock draft is I'm working on the draft guide. The draft guide is consuming all my time. And, uh, last year I started it late. Because I just didn't know if I even wanted to do one. 
uh, but apparently people loved it, uh, barring some of the typos that were inside it and the, uh, I guess some teething issues with the, uh, you know, people couldn't download the link or whatever. Well, I'm working to fix that this year, but this year's draft guide is going to be really good. Uh, and I'm not just saying that it's going to be five bucks. It's it's what it was last year. Uh, I'm going to try to get it released within the next couple of weeks. Uh, but it's going to be not only just scan reports. I'm going to go for at least over 200 scan reports. But also, it's going to have te- team by team previews. You know, when you look at the uh, uh, when you look at the NFL draft guides, the NBA draft guides, the baseball draft guides. They they really get deep into the into the thick of things. Uh, they they really give you a lot of information. I feel like a lot of the NHL draft guys that are out there. They just don't do that. Uh, and so uh, you know, I keep it reasonable five bucks. Uh, but again, a lot of work this year. I'm telling you right now, without a doubt, I spent way more time watching players this year than any other year. This year, you know, if really getting deep, deep into the leagues, every league you could think of. Uh, the one thing that I, I did, uh, decided to do was I took a little bit of a step away from the Canadian Hockey League. Uh, and I'm kind of, you know, I've been catching up on it the last two two months. It's just not a very good, and I'm saying outside of the the, the, the notable names, outside of the big names in the WHL, obviously, but not a great year for the W uh, for the OHL. Not a great year for the uh, well, I guess the Quebec League. There's a couple of guys, but to me, outside of the, those big names, in WHL, like uh, like I, the, the the CHL kids just don't move the needle for me. They really haven't. And obviously, you got a CHL centric, uh, I guess all the NHL organizations. Uh, there's always that relationship between the CHL and Hockey Canada and the NHL. It is what it is. It's always going to be there. It has a profound impact on the way that the draft goes. There's biases. We get it. Uh, it's changing a little bit. Uh, you know, you look at Central Scouting's rankings. They put the four Canadian kids ahead of all the American kids on the NTDP before the Under-18 World Junior Championships. And what happened? Team USA smacked Canada around. You know, though, I mean, you want to talk about putting a stamp on which, who's, which kids have the better prospects. Team USA annihilated Canada. It wasn't even close. Uh, so to me, it's not even really about bias. It's about the best plays available. It just so happens, oh, by the way, that in this year's draft, in my opinion, the top prospects coming out of the U.S. national program and, of course, Capo Caco uh, in Finland. So, uh, like I said, I've spent a lot of time watching Europe this year. I think the Finnish crop is excellent. I think the Swedish crop is you know, really underrated to a certain extent. I know I've been underrating them a little bit, but if you watch them, I mean, they won the under 18 world junior championships or world championships. So, uh, you know, overall though, I've spent more time this year. I can tell you right now, hands down, I started doing this in 20, late 2014. So for the 2015 draft, this draft, I've spent more time physically watching the players play either in person. I've seen them play, uh, even in person at the tournaments last year, uh, or collecting all the data, so you're gonna you, the scouting reports you're gonna see this year are gonna be incredibly detailed, more detailed than I think uh, any scouting reports I've ever done. Uh, I've spent a lot of time talking to advisors. I've spent time talking to coaches, uh, specialists, uh, what they look at. Not necessarily scouts, because like I said, scouts have the opinions. But in terms of uh, you know like experts on uh, trainers, uh, people that have training programs for defensemen, for goalies. 
uh, so I could uh, understand uh, what to look for uh, in plays and things like that. Because, you, you know, one thing that always bothered me about the Sky Reports is when you read them, they're all pretty much the same. He shoots the puck well. He skates well. He does, he goes into the, you know. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's, so the biggest reason why this all goes back to what I said earlier about how the biggest reason why the, the site isn't that busy lately is because I'm focusing on the guide because I think that in the end it will be a great product for you and also very cheap too, you know, five bucks. Uh, so that's pretty much where, where we're at right now. Uh, as far as the draft goes, listen, they, they haven't, uh, they haven't released tickets yet. This is stupid. And I, I, you know, listen, the thing is the draft Okay, look at the NFL. Look what the NFL does with their draft. People were planning the freaking NFL draft. Like people, meaning fans, like months in advance, going to Nashville, getting the hotels, the, the logistics behind it, all the travel, where places to eat, places to go, uh, you know, what what time you got to be near the stage to hear your picks go. There's a lot of stuff involved. And we all know NFL fans are bananas. Uh, but, but the NFL gives them the opportunity to do these things. It's a really... Uh, a, a nice relationship, a nice marriage that the NFL has between the fans. I, you know, I, I'm a huge football fan. I've been a diehard NFL fan since I was a kid, really, four or five years old, going back to the Ali Haji Sheik, early Lawrence Taylor days of the early 80s with the Giants. And I never felt like the NFL did a bad job getting its message across to fans. I never did. You could complain all you want about the refereeing and the officiating and the uh, all the, the criminal problems that the league has. But in terms of dev- delivering a product to the fan, I never had a problem with it. And so now, freaking NHL, man. Like, the draft... So now the NHL basically is... What they're doing is they're telling the, the host cities that they are in charge of ticketing. That the team itself is not in charge of ticketing. I don't know if this is a new thing, if this has always been the case... But basically, there's been absolutely no word, no word. If you go to Rogers Arena's uh, website, they don't even have the event on the calendar, you know? They don't even have the event on the calendar. You go to, uh, I remember previous years, Dallas, uh, Buffalo, Chicago, even Florida, they would have a, on that team page, click here for all your NHL draft information. Freaking Vancouver website, uh, Rogers Arena, nothing. You can't find anything. So I had to make a couple of phone calls, and it turns out that the Vancouver season ticket holders have been told that, you know, we're in a squad hold. You know what I mean? We're, we're basically going to uh, sit and wait until the NHL dictates what it's going to be. So what they're going to do is, of course, they're going to give a certain amount of tickets to the, uh, to the family. I guess the NHL has to figure out how many people are going in terms of the, the kids being drafted and the families. Because it's in Canada, you're going to have a lot more Canadian people there. A lot more, obviously, what the CHL makes up usually every year, about 40-50% of every draft. So, obviously, a lot more uh, people to accommodate. Uh, and that's really for day one. It's probably going to be a sellout. Day one's always a sellout. Day two, no one gives a shit about day two. Or maybe in Canada, they care more. Uh, but but bottom line is this, the tickets aren't available. And the draft is less than two months away. You go, what are we, May 9th today? Uh, and still no words. So, a little frustrating uh, from a fan standpoint. Uh, what I like to do every year is I like to just buy tickets. Not really. I, I mean, I don't mind paying more than face value. You go to StubHub, you pay a little bit extra. Not a big deal. Uh, I don't mind putting money back to the pocket of uh, uh, an entrepreneur. Uh, but at the same time, still, like you, you got to give us that information. And I know people have been tweeting the Canucks. They've been tweeting Rogers Arena, the crickets. 
So uh, if you're the kind of fan that wants to make the trip out to Vancouver, I can tell you this. If you want to book your travel now, if you want to book your uh, your plane ticket and you book your hotels, do it now. Because you could always go on StubHub or uh, you know Ticketmaster, whatever you know agency, online agencies out there, and you could get a ticket last minute. The, the prices will fall as you get closer to the day itself. Day two tickets should be, I mean, people should put them on for free. I mean, day two is a joke. Uh, you know, only real hardcore draft uh, junkies and draft fans even go. Because the thing is, day one ends at what? You know, it's going to, now I don't know what, I got to check the time, but because it's on Pacific time, day one is going to end late. I'm going to assume that they're going to start the draft early, probably like six, six o'clock or maybe five o'clock Pacific on Friday. But that would, you know, you got people going, coming home from work in the local area. I don't know how that's going to work, but the people on the East Coast are going to be up pretty late. Then you got to, they all go back to the hotel and show up right again at, at nine. That's the other thing too is nine, 10 o'clock in the morning is usually when they do it. But because it's on Pacific time, what are they going to have day two at seven o'clock in the morning? Uh, it, it's going to suck for me. Uh, I always get hotels near the airport so I could just get the hell out, get, get in and out. You know what I mean? But, uh, and now plus you got this Uber lift uh, strike going on. So I don't know how that's going to impact uh, getting around the draft. So like I said, from a logistical standpoint, I would say do your bookings now if you haven't already done so. Uh, and then we just, you know, you could, when they announce when the tickets are going to be available online, if you want to be that person who hits refresh every 30 seconds or every two seconds, uh, it's going to be, it's really like, I, I'll i be shocked. I'll be shocked if I get tickets um, the day that they're, they're announced, if they have like the online draw or whatever you want to call it, the online sales when it opens. I'll be shocked if I get them, you know, usually the sites crash. Day two, no problem. But for me, I'd rather spend the extra 35, 40, 50 bucks higher or face value and, and get it, you know, from StubHub or Ticketmaster or whatever and just, you know, you know, basically uh, leave nothing to chance. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but yeah, so that's the story, I guess, with the draft in Vancouver. Uh, no announcement yet where the draft is going to be next year. Uh, hopefully... Obviously, I'm biased, but hopefully the NHL uh, saw what the NFL, the show that the city of Nashville put on. Let me tell you about Nashville. This city does not mess around, okay? And I, I've been in a lot of major cities. You know, we could use varying uh, different types of, uh, I guess, uh, uh, measuring uh, sticks, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, the categories when you want to say, well, what city makes this city better? Let me tell you something right now. Nashville was prepping for the draft like three to four months in advance. And not I'm not saying prepping like in, in meetings. Like they were physically getting the downtown area ready in the middle of a Preds playoff run, by the way, uh, for this draft. And they did a fantastic job. And you talk to people from all over the world that came to Nashville for the draft. And they just had none of them a great... I'm sure some people were like, you know, mad about the traffic or like whatever, but... So if the NHL, I'm hoping that they saw that. Because the thing about the NHL draft is, yeah, they have the fan fest and it's right outside the arena. The thing is this, if they have it at Bridgestone, right? If they have it in Nashville, the fan fest can be freaking Broadway. The city with all the bars and all the restaurants and all the clubs. You see what I'm saying? Okay, you don't have to make it a parking lot. Like, you know, oh, come meet this player. No, you, know, you don't want to do that. You, you could have that at Bridgestone. I'm sure they have a big concourse there. But... So you got to bring the draft to Nashville. You have to. It's a it's a hockey crazed town. 
They don't have a baseball team here. They don't have a basketball team here. It's basically Titans and Preds, and that's it. So come June, there's nothing else going on. Uh, the NHL could really maximize uh, not only uh, viewership, but attendance. It's great for the city as well. So that's just my opinion. I don't know what they're having it next year, but sooner or later, they got to bring it back to Nashville. Um, so uh, that's the admin stuff that I wanted to talk about. Obviously, like when I have the information, I'll release it, whether it be via Twitter or whatever. All right, so U18 World Championships. Uh, Sweden ended up winning it. It's their first time winning the thing. Congratulations to them. They deserved it. Uh, if you look at how the tournament unfolded, obviously Team USA was the lead horse going in. They smoked everybody. Okay, Jack Hughes was phenomenal. Cole Caulfield, phenomenal. Matt Boldy, phenomenal. Trevor Zegras was playing hurt. He was phenomenal. Uh, Cam York, Spencer Knight, everybody was great. Right? From, a, from a, a, a statistical standpoint, from an eye test standpoint, watching Team USA play, they were a machine. Uh, you know, a couple of games here and there in the beginnings, they were slow to out of the gate. I think the opening game against Sweden, never easy to make that trip cross seas. And then your first game, you're playing one of the top teams uh, in your group. Uh, but listen, you know, when you, they, they, you got to look at, at Team USA, they basically beat every team. They beat every team in the tournament that they were supposed to beat or that they, uh, uh, that you wanted to see them beat. Uh, in Group A or Group B, they had Russia, Sweden, and they beat them both in group play. And then, they beat Finland, who obviously were defending champions, but they struggled this year. They were in Group A. They barely avoided uh, relegation. Then they played Team USA. Everyone's like, oh, you know, Team USA's got to watch out for Finland. They were dangerous. That was the, the, the talking point. No one ever said No one ever said about, hey, Finland is is obviously the defending champ, but they, they better watch out for Team USA because they're a steamroller. The whole narrative was like, oh, Team USA better have their game on because Finland's uh, going to upset them maybe and uh, they're a dangerous team. They're peaking at the right time. All this nonsense, okay? Oh, well, Team USA spanked them. It was close for about a period and a half, maybe a half a period, who knows? And the Finns did play a good game. I'll give them that much. Like, they executed their game plan. They were providing pressure everywhere, uh, applying pressure everywhere, so... Uh, but, uh, you know, and then USA plays Russia in the semifinals. These Russian kids, I'm telling you, they're tired of losing. They don't like Team USA. They don't like them. It's a, you could say it's the Russia-USA thing. Who knows what kind of media, uh, what kind of, uh, you know, uh, information is being uh, told. You know, here in America, what do you hear? How every, all you hear is how bad Russia is. Russia bad, Russia bad, Russia bad, which is all bullshit. But, you know, so you don't even know what they're uh, saying in Russia about America. Either way, this is just my opinion, but that the, the Russia-USA rivalry, even Pud Colson has gone on saying, like, we hate the Americans. We don't like we don't like them. We want to beat them. When they played at the U18 Five Nations in Russia, they got destroyed. The Team USA got murdered. They, Spencer Knight got pulled. I've talked about it before. So, you know, Team USA, when they played them in group play, it was a close game until the end. I think it was a 6-3 win for the Americans. Uh, so the Russians were like, you know, when you play the same team three times in a, in like, what, two months? Even though it's only three games in an international tournament, in that type of settings, they're all familiar with each other. They know the systems. They know the players. They've gone over film. Uh, they have a good frame of reference. So I think when Russia went into that USA game, uh, the semifinal match, they knew what they were going to see. They knew what they were uh, what they were up against, and they played a fantastic game. They just were, were relentless in applying pressure. Uh, they took the one nothing lead. It was a shorthanded goal, I think, by uh, Rony Namirov, the twenty twenty draft prospect, off of hard work from Dmitry Sheshin. Uh, you know, Jack Hughes couldn't generate anything. 
And then Team USA scores two goals. They got a 2-1 lead. Russia ties it. I think Shostyakov uh, had a slap shot that tied it. Uh, and then, you know, it's a 2-2 game. It was, the kids were exhausted. They played a lot of hockey in a small, in a, you know, small uh, window. And you saw as the game went on, uh, the, the skill was gone. Team USA was dictating play throughout. But ultimately, listen, it goes to a shootout. And you got Askarov, the Russian goalie. And you got Spencer Knight. Two, the, I would say right now the the two best goalie prospects that are not drafted. Obviously, Askarov, he's got uh, he's not drafted eligible. I think until next year. And Knight is going to be a first round pick this year. So, uh, and listen, one goal in the shootout, and that, and there's your ball game. Uh, you can't poo poo or cry about it. The Russians literally played a game good enough to win, and they deserve to win. So, uh, Sweden, uh, you know, they they uh, beat the Czechs. It was a close game. In the quarterfinals, and then they played Canada, and it was a close game, and they beat Canada, and then, of course, in the final, they played Russia. It was a fantastic game. We got a little bit of a disputed goal, uh, but then Sweden ended up uh, winning it. So uh, I think it was Lucas Raymond in, uh, I think it was in overtime to win it. So again, a fantastic tournament. I would say, uh, you know, the biggest news to me was uh, uh, Slovakia getting... Uh, relegated Slovakia didn't you know Belarus and Latvia Belarus was the surprise of the tournament Belarus had big wins uh you know over the uh over the Swiss and of course uh, they beat Finland and you know it's a it's a pretty big deal for that uh, program for that to happen so uh you know to me the biggest disappointment of the tournament was Canada and they they had a good game or two and they had a this was I think the best team that they sent to this tournament Outside of Kirby Doc and Bowen Byram, like who was missing? Who could you say? Well, the CHL playoffs—they can't, you know—they weren't able to to release them to Hockey Canada. No, man, they had they had Suzuki, they had Krebs, uh, they had Cousins. Those are three first round picks. Those are the, probably the three of the first five Canadians taken. Or they had uh, Thomas Harley, right? They had Thomas Harley, who some think is the best uh, North American defender for the draft uh, after Byram. So it's just Canada didn't have it. They struggled and they struggled and they they stayed to the outside for so long and uh, they couldn't generate offense and uh, turnovers and sloppy play and so you know and then so they got they got knocked out and they had to play Team USA for bronze and Team USA uh, humiliated them. It wasn't even a contest. They just uh, you know when a Canadian team, a CHL team, gets uh, beat up that badly by an NTDP. And people might say, well, the NTDP, they have a lot of chemistry. Their program stays together. The Canadian kids, that's bullshit. These Canadian kids, they know each other. They've played with each other plenty. World U17 Challenge, uh, Halinka. This was a a lot of the Halinka team was there. Uh, So, you know, overall, from a team standpoint, I have no problem with the outcome. I say, Team USA, they likely did not win. Well, they didn't win gold, likely because of a shootout. Okay. If they win that shootout they, and they face Sweden in the uh, championship game, I mean, they already beat them before. Who's to say that Sweden can't do it again? But I was just going to say that I think Team USA would have won. But again, hats off to Sweden. If you watch their play, they did it without Victor Soderstrom. And he, I think he's one of the, I think he's the best out of the Swedish defensemen, uh, Bjorn Fott and, uh, and Philip Broberg. But uh, he had a concussion. Kid, kid, kid keeps getting hurt in all these tournaments and never plays. Uh, well, only plays half the tournament. So, I, from a prospect standpoint, yeah, Sweden did a lot. Who helped elevate their draft stock? You're looking uh, team by team. Uh, you know, Finland, 
you know, you got to like Levy Alton in a lot. Uh, he, his speed, his speed and his shot combination. Every tournament I see this kid play, he, he competes hard. He does, does a great job. Uh, Canada, they, I think their best player wire to wire was Jameson Rees. I think a lot of people will agree with me on that. Dylan Cousins, uh, not a great tournament. He kind of picked it up at the end. Peyton Krebs had a very good tournament. Uh, you know, uh, you know Braden Tracy, I think, is a kid out of the WHL where he might have elevated his, his draft stock. Harley, I don't think he helped his draft stock at all. I mean, I, I've said this about Harley. He is the best out of all the defensemen in the draft. Every defenseman. That includes Byram and inclu- includes uh, Cam York. I think that Harley is the best passer, period. Best passer, crisp, clean. On every pass he makes is on the tape. So for that, you got to give him a lot of credit. But uh, you know, managing the puck is a little bit of an issue uh, inside his own end. Uh, defending, standing up at the line, uh, positioning in the slot, a lot of things defensively he needs to work on. So uh, is he uh, Alex Pietrangelo? Is he John Moore? We don't know. <laughs> we have only time will tell. But I would say that uh, if you watch the game, even if you had the TV on mute. And, you know, because obviously the announcers are going to point out the mistakes that the kids make. Uh, you saw that Hawley had some issues with that. So, uh, Czechs, I think they had a little bit of a disappointing tournament. Uh, Michael Tepley was really good. He always is. They didn't have uh, uh, the kid, uh, pre- or not Prequel, what's his name? The kid from Sault Ste. Marie, uh, that uh, Pitlick, Yarmir Pitlick, who was like their best, well, probably their best player after Tepley. And they didn't let him uh, him go because I, there could be some personal reason. You don't have the checks saw and the Slovaks the same way. They like to, but you know, it was weird because they they have Barinka there, and, and he's a kid that I might have helped his draft stock. Marcel Barinka, who was allowed to go uh, released from Halifax to go play there, and he actually did a, had a pretty decent tournament. Uh, so they, they they have no problem adding Barinka, but they do have a problem adding Pitlicks, and so I think that hurt them. Uh, Switzerland, to me, Noah Delema. I mean, draft eligible. Why the Swiss have a lot of young guys. Very good defense, mobile defense. But most of these guys are not eligible until next year. So Noah Delema, to me, was the one kid that stood out. Uh, and then uh, Team USA, obviously. Listen, man. I mean, we talked about. It, I've tweeted about it. The, the whole team. The whole team was great. There you go. Like, half the team's going to be first round or second round picks. Uh, you know, Russia. You got to talk about Pud Colson a little bit. What did he do wrong? I, he didn't score. There were games where he was dominant. If you really just focus on him, if you could ISO him and look at what he does, you're going to see what everybody else sees. But if you're just going to look for goals and assists, you know what I'm saying? If you're just looking at goals and assists, then you're going to say, well, he's not worthy of being a top three pick or top five pick. Uh, I, I've said this before. I think people are. On one side, they're so enamored with his game that they refuse to budge. And then you have the other side where people have always been down on his game and they refuse to budge. And so chances are that's going to somehow meet in the middle. So you're not going to see a top three or five pick, but you're not going to also see a 25th or 20th pick. You'll probably see Pud Colson pick somewhere between like maybe, you know, nine and like 15. I think that would be a good landing spot for him because he didn't have a great tournament wide to wire. I think he, he's been playing with a bum knee. Uh, the reports that he's exhausted. Listen, all these kids are exhausted. You can't use that excuse. But if he's got a bad knee, we did see him turn it on when it mattered most, though. He had a great game against uh, Sweden in the final. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I think if we're just going to use the U18s as a measuring stick and his playing the VHL and ignore everything else, then yeah, I could see why he's upset you. But, uh, But Sweden, like I said, for me... 
uh, Ludwig Hedstrom uh, was a kid. Albert Johansson, Ludwig Hedstrom, they, they were a pair. Very underrated. Both of them, I love them a lot. I think they're great. I think they got a high, uh, a good future ahead of them. Uh, Broberg got voted the best defenseman of the tournament. I don't, I didn't see it. Yes, he was physical. Yeah, he see he led uh, Sweden in points, but I mean, other than that, he's not very creative. He's just a big guy who skates really well and and could score. He likes to shoot the puck. Uh, I wouldn't say he's very good defensively. Uh, he's got his issues in certain areas. Obviously, he's a work in progress because he's a young kid. Uh, but to me, Bjorn fought uh, to, as well was even better. So. Uh, uh, Slovakia, uh, Maxim Kajkovic, uh, he did really well to help his draft stock. I think when you have that kind of a shot, my goodness, you know, quick and a cannon of a shot and he could play wing, he was playing the point in the power play. Uh, you know, you got to think that he helped his stock. And then, you know, for Latvia, Artur Silovs, the goalie, my goodness. Uh, you know, I got, I had him ranked before the tournament. I, I did my homework on him. Some people were telling me, Hey, you sleeping on this kid Silovs. He's a stud. Uh, and he was fantastic this year in the uh, uh, in the Latvian leagues in the MHL too, and then head over to uh, U18 Worlds and he had a great tournament. So that's pretty much my uh, overview of the U18 World Championships. Again, congrats to Sweden. No medal for Canada. Disappointing bronze for Team USA. But in terms of draft stock, I mean, look, Jack Hughes dominated the tournament. Jack Hughes uh, tied Ovechkin's record. He almost uh, tied Kucherov's single uh, single tournament record. I mean, he was fantastic. Cole Caulfield with his goal scoring. Matt Boldy with his two-way play. Uh, Trevor Zegers with his passing. Cam York with his, uh, uh, you know, two-way play. So, and then Spencer Knight too. I, really, just everybody. Just everybody uh, on that team. The, the way they work. So, you're going to see a lot of them... Uh, taken very early, uh, quite high in the draft come June. All right, so let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go over the men's worlds, talk about the CHL playoffs and the road to the Memorial Cup, and then also the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, all the stuff going on there. You listen to the Draft Analyst Podcast with Steve Cornianos. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes, and give me a follow over on Twitter at the Draft Analyst. All right, welcome back to the Draft Analyst Podcast, episode number 39. Uh, in the last segment, we talked about the Under-18 World Championships. Uh, now let's move on to the Men's World Championships. That's the event that is the real moneymaker, I guess, for the IIHF. Uh, we all like the World Junior Championships. It's fun with the Under-20 guys because most of the kids are NHL prospects. Uh, also involves about, you know, likely first or second or third overall pick for the draft, so there's always a tension with that. Then you got the under-18 World Championships, which, uh, you know, of course, is always a big money maker for me and a lot of draft junkies because everybody playing in the tournament is draft eligible. And then you got the Men's Worlds. And in, in Europe, it means a lot. Uh, uh, the Men's World Championship in Europe is, uh, I would say, on par in terms of recognition and prestige, very close to an Olympic gold medal, at least to the European uh, nations. It's a huge deal. It's just like soccer with the World Cup and the UEFA Cup and, uh, you know, things like that. So, uh, you know, 16 teams participating. It's a good shot for undrafted guys uh, playing in Europe to get some recognition. Obviously, NHL scouts will be there. The biggest deal, though, for me is the fact that Jack Hughes is going to be there for Team USA and Capo Caco is going to be there for Finland. 
So now you're going to have a situation where one versus two, it, I hate to say this because it would almost like wipe out a whole year's worth of a draft resume, but it could be a determining factor in who goes one and who goes two. I'm not saying it will be. I'm just saying is I, I doubt that everybody is locked in and convinced because remember after this tournament, the last event that you have, at least for these guys, obviously the Memorial Cup in Canada is going to go on, I think, well into, uh, I guess, late May and Memorial Day. But the 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 Hughes versus Kako debate, to me, is not finished. Uh, I, I still think Hughes is number one. I'm just looking at it for, as a from the perspective of an NHL GM or a scouting director who is basically like, you, how could you say... Like uh, you've done all your homework and you've come to a decision. If they have come to, uh, come to a decision, then that's fine. But I have a feeling that they haven't come to a decision yet. They still have a lot of work to do or some work to do. Most of the work is probably done. But this is a tournament where you're going to have one versus 1A, you know, against each other. We saw it at the World Juniors a little bit. They played against each other in the gold medal game. I- I've said it before. Obviously, Kako scoring the golden goal was a big deal. But, and if you want to use that one goal as the uh, barometer as to why he had the better tournament than Hughes or why he's the better prospect than Hughes, then fine, you know. But to me, they both were just there in the tournament. They, n- n- neither of them did a, had a McDavid or a Forsberg type of tournament where they dominated. It was just, you know, they had a, a couple of assists here, a couple of nice goals there, a couple of nice plays here, uh, you know, bits and pieces. You know, it wasn't like a wire to wire dominating performance. Uh, but if you've watched their play in the preseason or these pre-world championship tune-ups, you know, Kako's playing for Team Finland for a couple of weeks now. Uh, they had this thing called the Carlson Games. It's basically a four-team tournament with Russia, Sweden, and uh, Finland and the Czechs. I think it was in the Czech Republic. But, uh, you know, Kako was playing fine there. Uh, Hughes, of course, just smoked the U18s, and he made the decision to... And you got to give him a lot of credit for doing this. Jack Hughes... Basically said, you know what? Like he could have just walked away from the U18s after it was done and said, I'm done, dude. Like I did everything. I broke every record. I, I smashed every competition. I'm averaging almost two and a half points a game against the best that the European and uh, Europe and Canada have to offer. Like I'm done. I'm done. My draft resume is complete. He could have did that. Now, what he's done effectively is put his draft resume at risk. Because what if, what if he gets hurt? What if he has a bad tournament? What if he's just turning the puck over like crazy? Meanwhile, Cap, like this is a hypothetical scenario that is certainly reasonable, is that Jack Hughes struggles for Team USA at the World Championships and Kako, let's say, is a top three goal scorer. Or Kako scores another huge goal. Or Kako beats Canada because I think they're in the same group. Uh, you know, how is that narrative going to change? It is going to change. At least it's among... Uh, media and fans is going to change. It might not say, well, Kako's first now. No, but it'll say like, I don't know. This Kako guy's pretty good. You know, I can see why people say that he deserves to be number one. And again, to make it clear, deserves to be number one doesn't mean that he's going to be number one. Okay? Like, I deserve to go to, you know, the supermarket and get really good feta cheese, right? I deserve it. But that doesn't mean I'm going to find it. You see what I'm saying? Uh, so, you know, Kako deserves to be number one. It just it might not happen. It's just, it's going to be that 
unfortunate scenario where there's a player in the draft that might be better than him, or at least in the minds of the guys that run the NHL team picking first. In this case, the Devils. They think that Hughes is number one. They're going to take him number one. They think Cackle's number one. They're going to take him number one. But again, it's still, the fact that we're even talking about this is a good thing. All right? It adds more uh, sets of eyeballs to the TV screens and computer screens uh, to watch these two play. And if you watch them play, you know, Hughes has only had one uh, tune-up. Obviously, it was against Germany. Obviously, you know, we listen, the Germans took that game seriously. Okay? That arena was packed. Now, it was packed because look who Team USA has. They got Patrick Kane, and they got Jack Eichel, and they got Dylan Larkin, and they got, uh, you know, you just go down the list. And Jack Hughes. Uh, but, you know, they, they took that game seriously and the crowd was into it. So it wasn't like uh, your typical pre-tournament game. Uh, in most pre-tournament games, the the, the uh, compete level is pretty high. I don't think that anyone really views it as a... The, the biggest difference is that maybe in the physical department and also at the end of the game, you're not like, you know, feeling sorry for yourself because you lost in a exhibition game. But uh, I thought Hughes was fine. I thought he was skating great, dishing the puck great. Uh, operating his the way he operated the cycle, uh, wasn't overhandling the puck too much. You could tell that he still got that voice in his head that tells him, "You get the puck, get the puck, check, get the puck." But it's tough to do when you're playing with Patrick Kane and Jack Eichel, where uh, Clayton Keller. They've all been programmed to be the same way. Type A hockey players, type A meaning that they want to dominate the puck, not necessarily that they're selfish. Uh, so I thought in that in that context. I thought he was great. I thought he was fine. He worked well with his linemates. He played on two different lines. He was the third line. And now this, we need to stop talking about him moving to wing or being a wing. Stop. Stop with the thing about Jack Hughes playing on the wing. He's not a winger. He's a center. He's a natural center. I, I, I don't know if it's because Clayton Keller. Clayton Keller played a lot of wing. Yeah, he's a natural center. But, you know, Arizona, for whatever reason, they like him on the wing. God bless him. I watched Clayton Keller play an entire season as a center iceman, a number one center on a thin NTDP, and he was absolutely outstanding. And so for, for why Arizona wants to keep playing on the wing, fine, go ahead. And then they trade Dylan Strom, and they still have him on wing. Play the kid at center ice, please. But anyway, that's another story for another time. Uh, no, Jack Hughes is a center. He's a center. He's a center. That's it. Uh, you know, putting him on wing, what does that do? I mean, is he a natural goal? Like, what, what, he's a natural goal scorer. Jack Hughes is a guy, he is fit to be a center. And if you say, well, you know, he's got to be defensively responsible in this two-way play. Did you see the game against Germany? He was fine. I, the kid has said in interviews, like, I need to work on my defense. When you are the type of personality, when you have the type of personality, like a Crosby or a McDavid, where you're just going to keep working and working and working until you get better at everything, then there's no reason to think that Jack Hughes at 18 is not going to be a monster uh, at 23 or 24. There's no reason to think that. He's not going to just stop working and stop practicing and stop watching film and stop spending an extra hour or two more on the ice than he uh, than he's expected to. That's not going to happen. The kid is absolutely driven, and you don't have to talk to him to know that. Or uh, uh, It's just everybody's basically, it's a universal opinion that Jack Hughes is a rink rat and a student of the game who's driven by being the best. That's it. He's driven to be the best. And not be the best in terms of like from an ego standpoint. He, it's just that the, his, he's never satisfied with his, his stand. He's always trying to exceed a standard and he sets new standards for himself. So because of that, you, you have to say, if you say, well, Jack, you shouldn't be first overall because he's, he's not, you know, he's weak on his skates. Or he's going to get stronger on his skates. 
he's going to get stronger on his skates. I mean, my goodness. So anyway, I think Jack Hughes is fine. Uh, Kako obviously is fine too from a physical standpoint, also a skill standpoint. So a lot of the, the games start May 10th. Um, and if you if you're wondering, I don't know. Uh, this is it, this is basically Europe, all of Europe, Canada, and Team USA. So uh, you know you got Austria, Canada, Czech Republic, Denmark, Finland, France, uh, Great Britain, Germany, Italy, Latvia, Norway, Russia, Switzerland, Slovakia, Sweden, and USA. I don't know what the groups are broken down, but I think Finland and Canada are in the group. So. You're going to see Kako going up against Tavares, and uh, I think Matthew Shane is on the team this year. I forgot. Uh, but you'll see that happening. Uh, and then uh, we're, we just have to hope that they, I guess, face each other in the medal round uh, for uh, Kako versus Hughes part two. Uh, all right. So now that we talked about the world, let's talk about the CHL playoffs. Uh, so you got three series right now. You got Guelph versus, versus uh, why am I drawing a blank? Guelph versus Ottawa. Ottawa 67s. Okay. And the thing about Guelph is they are loaded. They made so many trades, so many moves to bulk up. Uh, loaded with NHL prospects. Suzuki, Radcliffe, Samarukov, Phillips, uh, Dursey. I could go on and on and on and on. Uh, Ottawa also has their share of NHL prospects. They got Mike DiPietro on goal. Sasha Chemilevsky up front. Uh, they got the they got a, a great 2020 draft prospect, a Swiss kid named Marco Rossi. I think he's Swiss. He's either Swiss or Austrian. I think he's Swiss though. Um, but uh, so two different types of teams. I think one team you could classify Ottawa uh, as being as the, the the less heralded team, uh, whereas Guelph is the one that went out and they traded everybody. Uh, they traded everybody to to, to bulk up uh, at the uh, OHL trade deadline. And it, it, you know, they they came back from down. They were down three zero to London. They were down three zero to London. Talk about a team loaded with prospects. Look at the London Knights, and they came back. And that game seven was nuts. That was crazy because they were trailing. London was up. Everything was going in their favor, and then the floodgates just opened. And then, uh, you know, it was a really really special run by the Storm uh, to do that. So. Uh, right now, I, I think the series is 2-2, and I don't really know, uh, you know, you look at the rosters, right? Guelph, they got, they don't really have anybody in terms of, uh, uh, Hunter Stevenson, I think is the only kid that really stands out to me. Uh, and then Ottawa, they got Graham Clark, they got the Russian kid, Akatuk, uh, they got Lucas Perrick, and then they got Rossi and, uh, Quinn, the two 2020 kids, so from a prospect standpoint, draft prospect standpoint, not a whole lot. Graham Clark, maybe second round pick, third round pick. Uh, Nikita Akatak, may, defenseman, maybe a second round pick, third round pick. Uh, and uh, Perrick, I mean, he might not even get drafted. So uh, to me, the series to watch, to me, is Vancouver Prince Albert. And I've been watching it. And like I said, I, I, it's on, I'm going to watch it later on today. Uh, it was 2-1. And the reason why I'm watching it is you got two likely first-round picks in Bowen Byron for Vancouver and Brett Leeson against Prince Albert. And the reason why I'm glued to this uh, series is that, you know, Prince Albert is a machine. They, they, they were the number one CHL team all year, really from wire to wire. I, they didn't lose their first game. Uh, they, they, they ran off like, what, like 18, 25 straight wins? I forgot what it was. Uh, but they have a, a, 
a lot of quality prospects. You know, I got I forgot one too. Is Alexi Protis, the uh, the Belarusian kid, the import. Uh, who's having a fantastic uh, little run, a playoff run here. So he's also first-year draft eligible, uh, along with, uh, well, Brett Leeson's a double overager, but those two playing on the same line together. So you got Bowen Byram, who some feel as the is the easiest pick to consider a franchise defenseman. Out of all the, fran- uh, the, out of all the draft prospects that are defensemen in the upcoming draft, Byram has the highest upside, e- easily without a doubt. I think that no one's going to argue against that. Uh, against... This 1999-born kid, Brett Leeson, who's taken the league by storm uh, and is really just a fantastic player. You got to watch him play. Forget about his age. But he's also facing, uh, he meaning Byram, this powerhouse that can roll three lines, three powerful scoring lines. And they got a mobile defense. And they, the way that they work, this is the thing about Prince Albert, if you watch them play. It's like the NTDP as well. That the way that they move the puck, it's never... This typical north-south, uh, you know, uh, dump it here, send it to the guy close to me. They like to stretch and spread that ice out. They are always splitting that seam. The the, the, the passing lane could be open or closed, does not matter. They are going cross ice, uh, you know, circle to circle, point to point, diagonal, uh, behind the goal. The way that they move the puck inside the offensive zone, it's murder on an opposing team. You could just tell that they are gassed within 30 seconds. Because you can't, I mean, you just stay, all, all you could do really is just stand still. But if you stand still, then you allow the enemy to dictate, or well, the opponent, to dictate the tempo and the pace of that possession inside the offensive zone. And, you know, you get tiny heart syndrome. You start feeling sorry for yourself, like, oh my God, I'm tired. What am I going to do? Oh my God, look at them. Look at the way they move the puck. And Prince Albert has been doing this all year to every opponent. And so when Vancouver won game one, you know, the world was not stunned, but it was like, man, they go into, how about those giants and Byram? They go into Prince Albert, packed house, raucous crowd, and they win. And they had a convincing game. It wasn't a convincing one. It was a close game, but uh, almost a near perfect game. And the, the this is a good thing about competition at any level. I don't care what level it is. I don't care what sport it is. When a top dog loses that game one, I, you always got to see how they respond in game two. That's a good sign. How they respond in game two. Because there's always the chance that a team is maybe taking the other team lightly, right? Oh, we're game one. We're the big, we're the big dogs. We got home ice. Everyone loves us. Oh, yeah, they're a good team, but uh, we should come out on top. We're not that nervous. And then you, you, you get the oh shit moment. You know, in the NFL... Uh, it's it's one shot, one kill. NCAA tournament, same thing. One shot, one kill. You can't take someone lightly. But in hockey and uh, baseball and basketball, seven-game series, you could do that. You could afford to have a clunker in game one and still bounce back. Well, you know, uh, Prince Albert, man, from the second the puck was dropped in game two, they have just been relentless. What did they score? Eight goals in the first period of game three or seven goals in the first period of game three in Vancouver. It was, I mean, they scored, I think, in the first minute. So it's a fantastic series. I have no idea what happened in game four last night. I can't wait to watch it. Hopefully it wasn't like game three. Uh, but Byram has had his struggles. He had a great first game, but the last two games, the kid can't do it all. He can't do it all. He's. But this is part of being a top defenseman. You can't say that, you're going to hurt someone's draft stock. And I'm hoping that scouts and, and, and GMs and sky directors, 
They, they realize this. I'm pretty sure they do. Where kid has a bad playoff round or bad couple of playoff games, it shouldn't hurt his draft stock. You know what I'm saying? And I, I used the example. I tweeted it out yesterday. In the 92 playoffs, 1992 playoffs, uh, the Penguins didn't have home ice in any of those rounds, right? They played the Capitals in round one. They played the uh, the Rangers in round two. They played the Bruins in round three. And they played, I think they did have home ice against the Bruins. Maybe they didn't, I forgot. Uh, and then they played the, uh, the Hawks in the Stanley Cup Finals. And Mario Lemieux and Yarmir Yager, and even Sean McEachran and, you know, uh, Kevin Stevens, but more Mario and, 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 and Yager, they embar- in round one, they embarrassed Kevin Hatcher, a very good defenseman. In round two, they embarrassed Brian Leach, a Hall of Fame defenseman, a Nars Trophy winner that year. In round three, they embarrassed Ray Bork, one of the top five defensemen of all time, in his prime. And the Stanley Cup Finals, they embarrassed Chris Chelios, one of the best two-way defensemen of all time, Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer. Okay, so what are you going to say? Oh, we're not going to put him in the Hall of Fame because they had that one. No, it's not a good indicator. You're going to have your ups and downs. You're going to have. You can't expect a 17-year-old kid who's been entrusted with running a defense corps for two years now. That's very rare in major junior hockey for a seven, a 16 and 17-year-old. And and Byram's still 17, by the way. He doesn't turn 18 for a, a little bit. To say, hey, you are our number one defenseman. You're going to log 35 minutes of ice time a game. And you have to do it against one of the best CHL teams we've seen in, let's say, the last decade. Whatever it might be. Record-wise, maybe not prospect-wise, because they got a lot of veterans, a lot of overages. But uh, in terms of just the team, the, the team machine, the Prince Albert Raiders are that. And Bowen Byram, I mean, what's he going to do? Well, what are you going to do? Well, what's one guy going to do? He could only do so much. But the fact that he was able to dominate game one, to me, that's more telling than the fact that he struggled in games two and three. So if you want to be that fan out there, it's like, oh, well, you know, he's, he's not having a good playoff. I get it. And I know I've used that uh, example before. Alex Newhook, I've said, boy, you know, he really got stymied. But the thing is with Newhook is that there are patterns. There are patterns where Alex Newhook has, has been inconsistent. There's no pattern with Bowen Byram. There's no pattern. He literally did everything. He was he was the MVP of the WHL playoffs up until this series. Now we have to wait to see how it unfolds. So you can't you know say that what he did in the other previous rounds get canceled out by having a couple of rough games. It's going to happen. So I have no idea what happened in Game Four. For all I know, he could have had a monster game, and people are like, no, no, dude, watch Game Four. You should have seen him last night. Uh, but again, fantastic tournament. And then you go over to the Quebec League. And another great tournament, and it's another one. I think that that's tied, or it's up at five games now, which is Halifax and Ruin Naranda. Uh, from a draft prospect standpoint, you got Xavier Parent, you got Justin Barron, the 2020 kid, who's an excellent defenseman, might be a top 10 pick next year. But Raphael Lavoie, who are, uh, people still, I don't know why they don't like this kid. I really don't know why they don't like this kid. But I like him a lot. Yeah, I think he's a top 15 pick. And, uh, you know, if you watch him play Halifax, there's a lot of cooks in that kitchen, a lot of talent, a lot of talent up front, and he finds a way to stand out. Uh, he was, I think, the leading scorer in the, in the Quebec League playoffs up until yesterday. I think he had a quite, I don't, I don't know, I got I to gotta go back and watch the game. Uh, but, uh, so again, Memorial Cup, uh, Prince Albert has to be the favorite. If Guelph can survive Ottawa, I, you know, Sam Marukov, you know, if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan, 
the playoffs that Dmitry Samarukov is having, my goodness. And we always knew, looked at him as a guy. He had top pairing potential, physical, mobile, cannon of a shot. But he is taking his game to another level. Uh, we're, we're talking about a dominant number one defenseman. Yeah, he's a draft plus two. I get it. Okay, but uh, the Oilers have to be happy with his development. A- absolutely happy. And, uh, you know, he'll be in Bakersfield next year. Bakersfield, by the way, is in the AHL. Uh, uh, the AHL playoffs. I know Bakersfield is in a pretty tough series with uh, Anaheim's affiliate. Was it San Diego? Uh, really good series. Evan Bouchard after London's uh, choke job against uh, Guelph. Evan Bouchard, the Oilers' top pick from last year, made the trip over to Bakersfield, so he's with them. A lot of good stuff in the AHL as well, uh, playoffs. I think you got... Uh, so Carolina... The Hurricanes, they got their NHL team in the conference finals and they got their AHL affiliate in the conference finals. So that is a good sign. That means that you have done your job uh, drafting, developing, and acquiring NHL talent. So, uh, and I think that they're going to be playing, I forgot who uh, Charlotte is playing. Oh, the Marlies, Toronto Marlies. Uh, of course, so there you go. You got a great team in the NHL level and a great team at the AHL level. So, futures bright in both Toronto and Carolina. All right, so uh, let's wrap this up with the NHL playoffs. I'm not going to get too much into it. Uh, obviously, the fourth division winners getting eliminated was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, you know, obviously, I talked about Tampa Bay and their choke job uh, last podcast. But if you watched uh, you know, Columbus, listen, Boston was a very good team this year. You know, They were a very good team this year. They were, they, they were a team that gave Tampa Bay fits just because Tampa Bay ran off with the thing. You're looking at the Bruins as a possible President's Trophy winning uh, team. Or well, it would have been the President's Trophy winning team had it not been for Tampa Bay. So it's not like, uh, you know, the Bruins were like uh, some... And the thing is with the Bruins if they dealt with injuries. So you got to tip your hat to Columbus. They did their job. They knocked out the team that no one expected them to beat. I thought they gave the Bruins a really hard time. It was good hockey, good playoff hockey, intense, uh, physical. But ultimately, you know, to say the, the knee-jerk things, the better team won. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, Carolina and what they did... I mean, uh, listen, they're just gelling, just gel- just completely gelling at the right time. Um, I don't know uh, what the Islanders could have done. Uh, you know, the Islanders were a team that were built on defense and goaltending. And when the goaltending kind of went away, then what do you got? You know, I know Islander fans are freaking out. Uh, but ultimately, you got beat by a, a better team. You know, you got to beat by a team that if, you, you know, if you watch Carolina play in the beginning of the season, they were out chancing and out shooting their opponents like crazy, like almost by sometimes by a three to one margin, and consistently doing that. So, uh, and then they, 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 the goaltending was shit, and it, they couldn't. Uh, so they were generating all these chances, but the goalies, or whether it was uh, McElhaney or Marazic or uh, whoever else they had in goal, uh, Darling wasn't Scott Darling on the team. Uh, they, 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 you know, they let in an early goal, and it would change the tempo of the game. And then, of course, from that point forward. Uh, the Kings would be fighting it, but still outplaying their opponents. Well, you know, you know, you saw what they did to the Islanders now. I mean, this team, they are just relentless. They're big, they're fast, they're physical, and they're skilled. Uh, you know, having Justin Williams there obviously is a huge thing, but that, you know, Aho, Terravine, and all the, the, the mobile defense, the Forks, and the Slavins, and the Pesci's, uh, and the Hamiltons, uh, outstanding, really outstanding run. I, I, I think that they're going to go to the Cup, uh, to be honest with you. I know... You know, I'm not saying this because I'm anti-Boston. I'm saying this because I think Boston really just the, the dog fights that they've been in. Um, you, you wonder at some point how much they have left in the tank. You know, their best players are, are, are older. Now they get a lot of great depth uh, scoring. 
Obviously, the Bruins are not a one-line team, even though statistically, yes, they're carried by that top line. It's a very good top line. Uh, but you know, losing McAvoy the suspension for game one, uh, if Carolina could steal that game, uh, and I'm not going to say take home ice because home ice doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, but still going into Boston, winning game one, it could set the tone, uh, put the Bruins a little bit on their heels. But again, the Bruins have shown that they could come back. They were down in the series against Columbus. Uh, so uh, really good. I like this postseason. I'm not uh, uh, really looking at it as, uh, well, my team's not in it or the, the big names or the big markets aren't in it. You need new blood. You need new blood. So uh, as far as San Jose and Colorado, listen, I, uh, the league is a mess when it comes to this stuff. It, the officiating has gotten out of control with the replay. Uh, you don't hear the NBA get as much shit as the NFL and the NHL referees do. NBA referees get a lot, obviously because of the foul thing. Fouls are very subjective, even though they shouldn't be, but they, they are. They could pick and choose uh, anytime they want to call a foul. And of course, the whistle gets put away the last couple of minutes, but I get it. The NBA is rough, but still... You know, in hockey, they got to have some type of contingency where they have a screen. Uh, they're allowed to go and challenge uh, a flagrant foul, or in this case, in hockey's case, a intent to injure or a, a major penalty. They need to do that because it literally... Now, I'm not going to absolve Vegas completely. They choked. Cody Egan's a freaking idiot. He's a moron. There's no reason to cross-check someone like that off a face-off loss. You give him a little jab. That was a full. That was applying lumber to the to the body uh, in the most profound and prolific way. I mean, come on, Cody Egan is an idiot. Plain, plain and simple. In that stage of the game, there's no reason to do that. You lose a draw, you lose a draw. All right, let him take a shot from the point. Big deal. But you know, the call was obviously horrible. And yes, Vegas should have killed it off. But still, the call should never been made. Uh, last night with the Landeskog skate, we went back and forth. Uh, people on Twitter trying to help me out. I'm digging into the rule books, trying to figure out what's what. I mean, listen, the rule says that to tag up, your skate has to touch the line. The stupid NHL and uh, stu- uh, stupid NBCSN could not come up with a good enough angle to show us. So his fans were in the dark. Okay, could you tell if Landeskog skate was on the line or not? We have no idea. If the NHL has the technology, they need to show that. It's a game seven. You got a lot of people, a lot of money, oh, there's money on the line. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you you got to do it. And so people want to blame Landis guy that he was lazy getting off the ice. I mean, come on. That happens a million times a year. Guys are tied at the end of the shift. So you can't say that there was a no, you know. Now, I made a joke about it and I said that there was a uh, lack of urgency and uh, that he took 47 seconds to get the bench. That was me poking fun. I acknowledge that uh, this guy is a hard worker. He's not a lazy player. He's blood and guts. So to think that, you know, Landeskog being lazy is the reason why the goal didn't count, it's not the case. How the hell is he supposed to know that the play is unfolding? And the side is going to say, well, you can't take it for, for granted. No, you, you got to treat everything on a case-by-case basis. You know what I'm saying? In his mind, you know what I mean? He's getting off on a change in the play or is it the other way? Now, the other thing was, was anybody even communicating to him? Hey, dude, hurry, hurry, hurry. Get off. Come on, man. Come on. Get off. Get off. Was anybody saying that to him? We don't know. It looked like to me like everybody else was like, oh, you know, hey, dude, yeah, yeah good shift. You know what I mean? So, uh, so I can San Jose. Listen, they got they got a break with the Vegas thing. They got a break with uh, the thing last night. My issue is not with the call as much as it is that the NHL and NBCSN not being able to provide fans with the evidence that we requested. 
that we that we deserve. We're the ones that are watching the damn game. All right, you guys are nothing without us. So the least you could do is just you know in the MECSN trying to give us explanations. They tried their best, but again, it, uh, it just didn't measure up. So uh, I do think that I don't want to say San Jose was the better team, but I guess maybe uh, Colorado a, a little bit of overachieving. But again, you know, Nathan McKinnon, uh, Tyson Jost coming back, really uh, rejuvenating his I guess young career, if you want to even say that. Uh, with a strong series against the Sharks. Uh, Martin Jones, uh, all the saves that he made is a big deal. A lot of good stories. So again, you, you, I understand why you hate San Jose, why you don't want them in, but from a, uh, you know, they got the they got the horses. They they play a good game. They're deep. They got talent on the roster. So I, I don't mind seeing them in the in the conference finals. And now St. Louis-Dallas was a great series, but that game seven was a freaking abomination. I'm going to not take credit away from St. Louis because they deserve the outcome. They deserve to win in overtime. There was no controversy. But Dallas was just played like dog shit. They played like complete dog. They were just out. They were outworked in every corner of the rink. Every corner of the rink they were outworked. Out hustled. Out 50-50 battles. Along the boards. In center ice. Decision making. Yes, St. Louis has depth that Dallas didn't have. But if you watch Dallas play Nashville, Dallas... Did to Nashville what St. Louis did to Dallas. So you have to ask yourself, is it a conditioning thing? Did Dallas, was they just, were they spent? Because they, listen, if against the Preds, they were relentless as well. Physical, in your face, forechecking, applying pressure everywhere. Uh, and did that, you know, maybe by the time that they got to game seven, like, you know what, guys, it's been a good season. Like, it is what it is. Uh, Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, my goodness. I mean, come on. You know, all, all that, that game seven is going to stick in a lot of people's minds, okay? Because you don't even show up. You don't even show up. I mean, yeah, they showed up. They were there. But they did nothing with the puck. Absolutely nothing with the puck. Like, to me, even... All right, when Steve Eisenman was in his prime, he caught a lot of flack for not delivering, right, in the playoffs. Not all the time, but mostly, okay? And I go back to the 93 series against the Leafs. I think Game Seven might have went to overtime. I think was it was it uh, Dmitry Mironov who scored the rest of. So I forgot who scored the winning goal, but Eisenman was terrible in that game. And I remember thinking, like, man. Okay. And then the next year they lose in Game Seven to the Sharks, the one the one eight upset uh, in '94. So, and but I remember there were times where I watched Eisenman in, in certain Game Sevens or deciding games, and he was doing his best, like you could tell. Uh, or even I'll use even Casey Middlestat when he was playing for uh, Eden Prairie in the last game, the championship game against uh, Grand Rapids, where Grand Rapids had a great scheme and they were shutting down the middle of the ice. Even then, Middlestat, knowing that he was the team captain, knowing that he was the best player on the team and a you know top ten NHL draft pick, was just took it upon himself to do whatever he could. And sometimes it might come across as selfish, right? One on fours, one on threes, uh, you know, trying to be a little bit too fancy with the puck. Still, you're the best player on the team. You have to do whatever it takes to create chances for your team. And Sagan and Benjamin did nothing. They, they, I mean, I, a compete level. I, I think Sagan tried. There were some shifts where Sagan was okay, but Ben, I think Ben's done. I think he's done. I, done in terms of being considered an elite player in the NHL. So whatever they pay him, let them pay him that money. That's all based on his reputation and past performances. Uh, it just happens that point where uh, of a guy's career where he just doesn't really have it anymore. Now, 
Some people said the same thing about Jonathan Taves, and he bounced back and had a career year. So the same could be said about Jamie Ben one day. But very disappointed uh, uh, result, a disappointing result by the Dallas Stars to get outshot what fifty five to twenty, uh, you know. And of course Ben Bishop saving their bacon, but yeah, I think it's a good match, two good uh, conference finals. I think you're going to have Carolina's speed and skill against Boston's strength and experience. And you're going to have San Jose's uh, speed and strength and skill against St. Louis's uh, real, for two evenly matched teams. I mean, really, they're both very evenly matched. The depth that they both teams have, I think I got to give the edge to the Blues because of the uh, the quality of their defense from a defensive standpoint. Whereas, and listen, Burns and Carlson have been good. So I know we like to knock them about being offensive uh, only types of defensemen, but they've been good defensively, making the plays. You know, whatever. Uh, uh, Drew Dowdy, you want to agree or disagree with him about his comments about Burns? It, it, it might have lit a fire under his ass, Burns. Uh, Burns his ass because he's played great. It really, he's played great. He's played like a Nars caliber defenseman uh, easily. So, um, looking forward to it. And uh, like I said, coming up, we got two big prospect related events. Uh, on one hand, you got the IIHF World Championships because you got Kako and Hughes. On the other hand, you got the uh, remaining CHL finals, a uh, little league finals, and then the eventual Memorial Cup. And after that, it's the combine, and then uh, on to Vancouver. So, all right, that about does it. Hour and 10 minutes in the book. So, I want to thank everybody for listening in. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. And yeah, give me feedback too. If you want to go to I, uh, I, uh, uh, iTunes or SoundCloud and uh, give me feedback, tell me what you like, what you don't like, give it one star, give it five stars, two stars, whatever. I don't care. You know what I'm saying? I really don't care. Uh, just any type of feedback will be welcomed. And then, of course, like I said, I'll, I'll be releasing information about the draft guide. Uh, I'd like to do a mock draft for the blog, not for Sporting News, but do it for the blog because we have that uh, 27 teams locked in uh, draft order-wise. So uh, if I could take a break from the working on the guide to do it, I'll try to squeeze it in. But again, thank you for being patient. Uh, it's been a great draft year. We still got about a, about a month and a half left. So uh, once again... Thank you and listen in next week. Why am I best in this profession? All the things Marley does in his studio.